Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Increase Your Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, my fellow inquirers? Welcome to the open-minded talk show that is Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm the conductor of this train of thought, the one, the only Shane Jones. And today's fascinating conversation is with someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while, regularly enthralling his viewers through precise and creative storytelling. Whether you're a novice or a veteran, I guarantee his films will captivate you from start to finish. But before we get into this awesome conversation today, Got to do front of house and news and updates. So as far as news and updates go, I am doing a giveaway on Patreon and on social media. Uh, The Patreon one has a little bit more added to what you get, uh, but the social media one is uh, available on Instagram and on Facebook. And it's a t-shirt giveaway for either uh, my most recent inquiries of our reality design or Bizarre Encounters design. Totally up to you guys on which one you guys prefer. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, definitely go and check out the Patreon or on social media to figure out how you guys can enter. And uh, as far as other news and updates, if it hasn't dropped already, Orin and I are working on a video form Patreon exclusive show, but the first episode or two will probably drop on YouTube slash on the normal uh, feeds. And the whole idea behind it is that we're going to take a thought-provoking question, whether it be serious or funny or whatever, we're going to have fun with it regardless. But you know, some episodes might be a little bit more serious, but it's going to be called Bizarre Inquiries. So If anybody has any questions they would like us to discuss, please send me a message with those questions so that we can talk about them on the show. And uh, if we use your question, of course, we will give you a shout out on the episode, which is always fun for everybody. And the third piece of news and updates, uh, actually, I don't want to give away too much for it yet, but I am working on another business venture for something that is a cryptid related product. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been doing a putting all the pieces together to figure out how to make everything work exactly. But keep your eyes and ears open for that one because I think you guys are really going to enjoy what I have to offer for you guys. And uh, moving on to the front of house stuff. Don't forget to check out the show on Instagram and Facebook. And if you guys want some video content, don't forget to check out Open Minds Media on YouTube and TikTok, all in one for this show and for Bizarre Encounters. And uh, if you guys want to hop into an awesome community and have some awesome conversations with some like-minded individuals, don't forget to go and check out the Open Minds Media Discord. Uh, Constantly building that one up. We have a bunch of new members popping in. And with your guys' help, of course, that's going to continue growing. And if anybody is interested in being a guest on the show or having me on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, 
You guys can get a hold of me through social media or through email. I am a little bit more active on Instagram, but you guys can always still get a hold of me through Facebook. And if you guys want to email me, you guys can email me at inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill this admission form, and that will, of course, go directly to my email. And if anybody would like to report an encounter, you guys can also report that through the link tree. There is also a submission form for that, or you guys can email the specific email that I've created for that, which is OMMEncounterReports at outlook.com. And if you can't get enough of the content I put out, if you guys aren't already listening to Bizarre Encounters, I highly recommend that you go and check that show out. It's a lot of fun. I do it with my co-host, Orin, and we deep dive into anything that is a bizarre encounter. So that means paranormal, UFOs, cryptids, aliens, extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, anything weird like that, you'll find it over there. And we also do do interviews a little bit mixed into there, but the way the show's kind of pushed towards is a little bit more of us deep diving into these particular topics and having fun along the way, of course. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, don't forget to go and check out Open Minds Media across social media. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys, of course, can become Patreon members, and there you'll get things such as early access to the show, live access to the show, live replays of the show, exclusive giveaways, exclusive merch store discounts. And I've added a bunch more stuff to the tiers over there, so go and check it out. I'm sure one of them will pique your interest. Uh, And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate over there, just let me know that you guys donate if it doesn't give you an option for some type of personalized message. And of course, I'll give give you a big shout out in the show. I like to give appreciation where appreciations do, of course. And uh, all that will go towards me being able to expand the show and make it so that I can get out to more conventions in order to meet more of you guys. So it all goes right back into the show. So at least you guys can say that you're helping a podcaster grow, which is always a nice thing to do. And the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media Merch Store. Over there, you'll find stuff for Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and other cryptid designs that I've been working on. Uh, I'm trying to expand that as much as possible. So if you guys have any suggestions and stuff you'd like to see as far as the merch store goes, definitely let me know because I'm always open to suggestions. And uh, if you guys want to pick up stuff from the merch store, always highly recommend going over to the Patreon first, uh, becoming a member over there, and then you guys will get exclusive merch store discounts. So a little bit more bang for your buck as far as all that goes. And then the uh, fourth way you guys can support the show is through word of mouth or through leaving a review or rating for the show. And if you guys leave a five-star rating, of course, I will read it on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And speaking of that, this week's five-star review comes from Sean Rackham, and he says, awesome podcast. I appreciate the review. And of course, uh, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep making the show better and better. So thank you again for leaving a review. And as always, don't forget to go and support Joe over there at Crypto Theology. Always dropping awesome new cryptid designs. I know he has a bunch of new stuff he's working on, and he's in between seasons right now. So every time you go over there, I guarantee you'll find something a little bit new that you guys might might enjoy. And to all my paranormal investigators out there, if you guys would like to get this awesome all-in-one device that they call the Chattergeist, you guys can do so through my affiliate link, which of course goes back to supporting the show. And the cool part about that is that if you guys have any questions about it, you guys can always go and hit up Barry on Dimension Devices on Instagram. He is the guy specifically that programs the device. So any of your technical questions that you might have, he's the one to go to. He generally replies in a timely manner. So it's definitely something worth going and checking out. I really enjoy using it. It's one of my favorite paranormal investigating devices that I've worked with so far. So highly recommend going and picking one up for your guys' selves. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. (laughs) 
please welcome to the show filmmaker and founder of Small Town Monsters, Seth Breedlove. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with your work, and assumably, you know, anybody that's into the cryptid stuff definitely knows what Small Town Monsters is. Uh, why don't you kind of give them a rough idea about who you are and what you do, man? Uh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I I uh, edit movies and, and uh, direct documentaries focused on uh, cryptids and the paranormal and uh, try to steer the ship that is small town monsters that's uh and i'm a dad that's <laughs> that's it that's the that's the rundown man being a dad though that's like a full-time job all on its own like i work full-time and then i do my show and then i'm a dad on top of that man like it takes up so much of your day that it makes it hard to focus on your work sometimes like mm-hmm. i can't even imagine trying to like do all of that while running small town monsters in general considering how much stuff you guys put out <laughs> It's a, um, what do you do for a living? Uh, I actually grow cannabis in Michigan, but I'm trying to move into some other stuff, but (laughs) yeah, but I mean, any, any job is, uh, SDM is no, no, no more of a responsibility or like a time consuming task than any normal job. Um, so whenever I talk to any, (laughs) whenever I talk to anybody, that's like, any, 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 as, as a guy that did like medical billing and drove FedEx trucks and did landscaping and repossessed homes and all that kind of stuff for, you know, 20 years before I started STM, um, that stuff will eat up more of your time than running a, a company, you know, focused on doing movies about topics we're actually interested in. So I don't. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel any more uh, time consuming than, than my life prior, prior to SDM. The biggest thing now is just trying to raise a little dude who's, you know, responsible and nice to people and stuff like that. But SDM is just a lot more fun than a normal job. Other than that, you, you, you probably have more, you honestly probably have more on your plate than I do. I mean, honestly, though, when it comes to doing stuff that you enjoy, it's not work at all. So, like, I start recording around, like, 9 o'clock, and I'm usually up till like, 4.30 in the morning or so, like, editing and doing everything else. And then I get up for work at 6.30, and then I go and work nine hours in super hot rooms. But the podcast stuff mm-hmm. is what I look forward to all day, man. And when you're doing something you enjoy, it's a totally different feel to it. It doesn't really feel like work. And then even being a parent, like, it is a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, and you just want to steer your kids in the right direction. But it's enjoyable, too, because you get to see your kids grow up, you get to put good values in them. So it's like, it's a totally different aspect of work. It's not so draining when it's actually stuff that you enjoy and like legitimately actually want to do. Yeah, no, being a parent doesn't feel like work ever. I don't, I don't think it's draining, but it's draining in a different way from, from work. Um, and STM never feels like work, even on the worst days. Um, it never feels like work. And I say that as someone who did, uh, BS work for, for years, you know, work that I hated doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's a, (laughs) it's a, the, the, the real world jobs that I had are, are, I look back on those things and now that's like why I do what I do now as hard. I, I grind as hard as I do now is so I don't 
end up in in those situations again um just just because you know like I, I basically was like a high school dropout and did did like one day of college and I have no prospects beyond <laughs> beyond small town monsters and so like if uh if this fails I am I am uh I'm out of luck and uh I would have no way to care for my kid so you know but yeah the parenting is the highlight of of life at this point Oh yeah. Same for me too, man. I mean, again, the show and the kids thing, like they're both my favorite part of my day. And I'm sure you probably caught yourself towards the tail end of you doing your normal work that half the time when you're doing your normal job, you're also just working at your stuff. So like, even when I'm at work, I'm doing research. I'm like writing show notes. I'm, you know, trying to contact guests. Like it it gets to a point where it just has to like rebalance back out. And I mean, that's why I'm pushing so hard just to get into the crypto community in general, man. It's just because I want to do stuff I actually enjoy. And like the podcast has done a lot for me, but it's a matter of, uh, you know, trying to find a good way to like monetize a podcast versus like making films where you have something like tangible to sell to somebody like a podcast. People just listen to it. It's like, unless you're monetizing, you have sponsors, stuff like that. It's hard to really like get to a point doing it full time. So you have to get into all these like little side ventures and stuff. But man, small town monster though, seems like a lot of fun in general. And I mean, you made a good name for yourself. I feel like as far as like cryptid documentaries go, you guys are at like the top of that where if you see the small town monsters name on it, like, you know, it's going to be good. And everybody in the cryptic community knows what small town monsters is. So, I mean, it can't fail at this point because you guys got way too much riding behind you guys. Oh, I don't know about, I can't fail, but <laughs> well, you can't put but, that in uh, your mind, man. You got, you got to just, you just got to keep rolling with it, man. You don't set limits for yourself. You just, it can't fail because you won't let it fail. You know? Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I totally get what you mean though about when I was doing medical billing in 20, 2015, as we were making Minerva, I was spending six out of the eight hours I was in the office sending press releases and <laughs> contacting, contacting people in, in Ohio media, trying to get press for Minerva. So that was the, that was the push when I was doing that stuff. So I spent, I spent, and, and even for years before that, I was spending a good bulk of my time, like working on other things while I was at my day job. So yeah, it's a huge part of it. Dude, it gives you an excuse to travel and actually get out and do stuff too. Like that's like one of my favorite parts about doing the show is I get to, I'm not just like a podcaster. Like I actually go out and investigate. I recently became part of uh, Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monsters Fording Research Team. So it's like part of the fun of actually doing this kind of stuff is getting to go out and venture and actually see the world, go to conventions. And I see you guys go to Alaska all the time and it's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Like I'm jealous of you guys getting to go up there. Yeah, well, that was one long trip. Um, Alex goes up. Alex has been up there a lot more than the rest of us at this point. But um, yeah, the travel is a big part of it. But we've, I mean, you know, the early days of STM were heavily focused on uh, travel and spending time away from home. And now that we sort of have our feet under us and our, our, um, regularly sort of creating movies or YouTube series or whatever. I find that my time is dedicated to trying to lower the amount of time we're gone. Um, <laughs> mostly because of, of my son. Um, you know, I just, I don't know the earliest days of the company. It was a thrill to be gone and it was exciting to go to new places and, meet new people and all that stuff is still great. But I find that, um, the more time I'm away from home, the, the more I sort of, um, uh, I find myself just wanting to be 
back with him. So we've, we, we actually kind of like started planning trips, uh, to be shorter. Like we just did a, a shoot in uh land between the lakes in, um, in Kentucky and Tennessee. That's about dog, man. We just shot this dog man territory movie with uh, Shannon Legro and Aaron Deese and the STM crew. And Aaron, uh, Alexander was down there shooting beyond the trail. And Eli was there shooting a, a three episode miniseries of, uh, Sasquatch Unearthed, and we shot the whole movie and those two uh, simultaneous shoots that were going on. We did all that in about three days. And like back in the day, that would have been unheard of. We would have shot for a week to get that much content done. Like the Alaska shoot for context was like 17 days. So we did the LBL shoot in about three days. And honestly, even three days was, is probably exaggerating what we did because technically, um, Shannon and Aaron didn't even get in until uh, Thursday night. We got down there Wednesday. They didn't get in until Thursday night. So really, we didn't get start shooting their scenes until Friday morning. So it was technically, I guess you could technically say it was two day shoot. So and that's all, all, all because of uh, as time goes on. You know, Heather has kids. Courtney has kids. Uh, a lot. A, Alexander's engaged. Like uh, Eli's got a girlfriend. Like we all kind of want to have our regular lives outside of STM. So it's, it's um, when we do these shoots is much less uh, stretched out than it used to be. It used to be a lot, you know, these kind of things were, were a lot longer than they are today. I mean, even just having more people involved too probably helps out a lot because it's not just you and like a couple of people trying to film. You guys have a bunch of people that want to get involved, a bunch of people that want to film. So you guys are able to produce more content without being gone I know Heather, for example, like we, we hung out when uh, she went to Squonkapalooza and she brought her kids with her there too. And I was like hanging out with her, with my kids and like her kids and stuff. And yeah, I mean, half the time it seems like all the people that are in the cryptic community, we're all parents too. So we're trying to like do stuff and see our kids. But when our kids get a little bit older, maybe it'll be a little bit different. Like, I mean, when your son gets a bit older, it might be fun to actually take him out on some of these adventures and he might be more open to making it take like a week, for example, because then you can kind of show your son the world a little bit more, you know, cause you have the opportunity. Well, you might yeah, as well take it. Yeah. Tommy's been, Tommy's been around it. Um, he was on a good, a good bulk of the, uh, Bigfoot project shoots out of Heather's, uh, property in Minerva. Um, he was actually at the house the day I had my sighting and, uh, was hanging out with Heather's son, Jensen. And, um, no, Tommy's been in the thick of it, honestly, since he was born, uh, literally. Like, he was born in late December or late April 2017. He was less than three weeks old when we went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And uh, so I could shoot this uh, Japanese television show where I hunted for Mothman in the woods around Point Pleasant. And uh, so he's grown up kind of, you know, surrounded by the weirdness. Um, so he's, he's familiar with it. I don't know. He's not, he's into it, but he's also, you know, he gets scared. <laughs> <laughs> he gets scared easily of like the, the, where I have werewolf masks in the basement and a skinwalker mask and stuff like that. So he's still kind of spooked by that stuff, but I'm sure as he gets older, he'll, um, he'll get, he'll get more into it right now. His big drive is to try to convince me to make a, a Megalodon movie. Oh, that'd be a documentary awesome. About Megalodon. So we'll see. 
Hey, man, it's all about keeping them within the interest of it so that they aren't scared by these things. Because, I mean, even mm -hmm. my daughter, when I first started bringing her around everything, like she was a little bit freaked out of certain stuff. And now she's to the point, man, where I go on squatch hikes, my daughter wants to go with me. So it's like you just got to get them to that fun point. But it's also kind of weird because it's like I, I do like homeschool with her partly, but they also has some online classes. But she'll go into like online school and be talking about like, oh, yeah, my dad and I went on a squatch hike last weekend. And I'm sure the teacher and all the kids are looking at her like, uh, what, what the hell? <laughs> What's up oh, with this? Yeah. kid <laughs> yeah my my son told kids at school that his dad had seen bigfoot so which is something i'd never thought of for some reason i'd never considered the the real wor world ramifications of saying i of, of actually like telling him i've seen a bigfoot and then him telling other people because you know it's like considered to be a myth like no matter no matter who you're talking to in the in the real quote-unquote real world like outside the community uh bigfoot is not real to those people mm -hmm. and so when when you, you have a six-year-old saying my dad saw one i had never thought of the <laughs> the ramifications of what happens when when that kid is is being told by other kids in school that bigfoot isn't real so um yeah, the, these are these are things I had never considered, but um, you know, like I said, he he grew up around it. Like he was around the Bell Witch shoot when we saw, shot Bell Witch. He was on set. Um, his mom was in the movie, so he's 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 been in the thick of it since since you know right after he was born. Uh, the the what was it the weekend the it's like a week the weekend after he was born. I was in. Um, Pennsylvania shooting shooting invasion on Chestnut Ridge. So um he's been around it and he's aware of what dad does for a living. Um I don't know, you know, he's into I'll tell you he's not super into a lot of the subject matter we look into. He's mildly interested in Mothman. The one that he is he's gravitated toward hardcore since since he was like three years old is the Flatwoods monster. That's the one that he's like absolutely obsessed with. He, he watches the movie constantly. He listens to the soundtrack whenever he can. So that's, that's the one that he's really latched onto as he's gotten older. So my daughter's has been Mothman. That's like her absolute favorite. And like the first documentary she watched on cryptids was your guys Mothman documentary. And she absolutely loved it. But talking about oh, cool. funny stories to tell other kids. I haven't even told my daughter the full extent of it, but like my weird encounter that kind of got me into everything was that I believe I had a Wendigo encounter and it's like, she mm. knows that and tells people that, but she doesn't know the story. So it's like, talk about Bigfoot. It's a little bit more accepted, but like when your kid's mm. going around saying, my dad saw Wendigo, everybody's like, what the, what the hell is wrong with this kid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, it's, it's again, it's like one of those things you don't quite know. I'm still figuring out how to deal with it. Uh, I tell him like, you know, you, you have to understand most people don't accept that this thing is, exists. Like Bigfoot doesn't exist to most people. And that's totally fine. Like they haven't seen it. Most people claim they don't exist. Uh, it doesn't make sense that it exists, but I saw it. So I'm not lying to you, but you have to understand that most people aren't going to just outright accept that this thing is real. Um, that's that's kind of like how I've tried to explain it to him. But now he's like convinced that Megalodon still exists uh, because I told him, well, maybe. And so now it's like, well, Megalodon must be real. So I don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, even with the Bigfoot stuff, even a lot of the people that have like firsthand sightings, like don't want to accept that they actually saw it. So they purposely dance around using the term Bigfoot or Sasquatch. But uh, just mm. to do a little side tangent here, because you've talked about it a couple times with your Bigfoot sighting, I'd love to hear about your Bigfoot sighting. Uh, yeah, well, so yeah, contextually, uh, or setting the stage, I guess we, we were, uh, 20 would have been like 2021. We were out at, uh, Heather Mosier's property near Minerva, Ohio. Heather is the, uh, small town monsters, uh, researcher. Um, and she owns uh, property outside of Minerva, Ohio, which is an area sort of rife with Bigfoot reports going all the way back to the 1970s. Um, we had had activity on the property the night prior that was pretty intense uh, with like rock throwing. Um, and at one point, her and I felt like we were surrounded on this trail. A lot of that is like uh, documented in the first episode of the Bigfoot Project, which is on YouTube. Um so we were we were out the next day hanging trail cams, uh, and we were driving around the property, which is like four hundred plus acres, uh, in in a gator, uh, which is basically just an ATV. Um, and we we're driving around, hanging up trail cams, and we crossed a pipeline doing about twenty miles an hour at about two o'clock in the afternoon on a really sunny day. And I looked up the uh, pipeline, which is like a clear cut running up this hill and there was a uh, just a dark brown hair covered creature uh, sprinting across the pipeline. Uh, I saw it for less than a second. I think it was less than a second. It was like time stood still for a second, but um, it was, it was running into the woods. I was just getting into the woods when I saw it. Um, and that's it. Like it, it was there and then it was gone. And I jumped out of the ATV to try to um, go. Uh, I was going to run up the pipe uh, the, uh, the clear cut, but the clear cut was overgrown with brush and thorns. And uh, there was about six foot high. And it was almost like a wall of brush when I hit it. So I couldn't, I couldn't make it any further. Um, we did hear, you know, movement up in the woods where we had seen this thing go in. But, um, you know, that was it. It was, it was less than a second and it was running across the clear cut. And now I get to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out if I actually saw something or if it was, uh, a bird or, (laughs) or I don't know. It was a, it's weird. I hadn't, I wasn't expecting to have a sighting at any point in my life. And, uh, you know. Uh, I find that I, I, I find that as I get further from it, I try to, um, maybe not try, but my brain wants to sort of like find different, different, um, uh, like causes for what I saw or, or come up with other alternatives to actually having seen a Bigfoot. That's, that's where my brain is at is trying to write off what I, what I, I'm, I know I saw, uh, I, I just, I know I saw this thing, but my brain wants to be like, well, you didn't, maybe you saw a bird or maybe you saw, maybe it was like an optical illusion, but we actually did run through the, the drive after the sighting. We, I got back in the, uh, the uh, gator and we drove back to where we were and we actually followed the, the tire tracks uh, through the field 
and crossed the pipeline again because I thought maybe I was seeing like a fern in the foreground and somehow it was like playing tricks with my brain. So we ran through it again and I mean, there was nothing there that could have, you know, tricked me into thinking there was something, a hair covered creature running across the clear cut. What, what was weird is that when we, about a week, well, I can't remember. I think it was a week later we got, we found a trail that ran up there and uh, it turns out there's a road right, right where I saw this thing running. So it made sense why it was running across the clear cut, uh, you know, parallel across this clear cut to where we were driving. Cause there was a, there's actually a road that connects these, this like gravel dirt, not gravel dirt, dirt path, dirt road that connects two sections of the farm. So it was running on a flat surface, which actually in a weird way, like sort of, cemented for me even further that I saw what I saw um, because this thing was traveling on a, you know, the path of least, least resistance. Um, So it was, uh, it was weird. There was there. uh, It's been, uh, you know, a year and a half since it happened. um, And I still don't, you know, quite, quite get why it happened that particular week or, why that particular summer was so active because the activity around that property has pr- pretty much died off since then. Um, and a, a lot of people ask us, you know, why, why we don't, um, why we don't make new episodes of Bigfoot project. Uh, but it's mostly just, be- just because the activity on that property has pretty much died, died off. I think it's like a migrational thing that they all started moving out of the area or, uh, they started clear cutting the neighboring property, which is where uh, I think they actually were. I think they were living on the neighboring property because it's a larger property. It's way more unfriendly to travel and humans. Uh, it's it's very very hilly. Uh, there's there's a really cool uh, cave back in that spot. There's a nice uh, creek that runs through that property. Um, all this kind of stuff, but they started clear cutting it and, and making uh, dirt bike trails. And so I think they had come over to the property we were on because it was the, the closest that had uh, a water source. There's a natural spring there. Um, I think they were coming over there to, to for, for the water. And, and um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we just happened to be on on the property right around the, the perfect time, um, they started doing work on those pipelines uh, this past summer now as well. So uh, there's just been no activity. I think all the, all the construction and development that's going on, the neighboring property has literally been pretty, pretty much turned into like a dirt bike track. Um, and so there, it just seems like they took off now further down the road, about a mile away. I don't know if that's North or South or East or West, or I, I have no idea, but about a mile away, um, maybe a little further than that. Um, the Heather's mother-in-law had a sighting back in like 2018. Um, so, so there's, there's activity right around that, that property. Um, and that that area where where the other sighting had happened is probably more conducive to like Sasquatch anyway because it's swampy. It's not a place you a lot of people travel through. Um, 
and it's it's uh, it's got a, a major water source that runs through it with this river. So, uh, yeah, I think they were in the area. I think they were probably living on somewhere on that neighboring property, moved over to where we were just because it was close by. And then we were there for a couple of weeks. They were there for a couple of weeks. It all happened to intersect. And then they were just like, eh, peace out. <laughs> Took off. Kind of keeps it rolling though, man. You lucked out because I know Alex, he's, I've talked to him a few times about if he's actually had a sighting yet. And he said he's never actually had a sighting. He just sees like the trace evidence. So sometimes it just takes that little bit to just keep it rolling. And sometimes it's just the weird times that things fall. Like I was talking to Michael a long time ago, Michael Freeman, uh, about his dad's sighting. And he said that normally it was like he would go at the same time every day to try to find these things. And he just happened to be off one day because he uh, had to like, uh, I think it was help his daughter with her car or something like that. Um, And then he came in later and because he came at like a weird time, he like caught these things off guard and he actually was able to catch one on camera. So just lucky timing and weird timing seems to be like the key to actually catching these things. And if you're trying too hard to find them, like they're aware of you regularly being in an area and then they just won't show themselves at the times they know you're going to be in the area. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm making a movie about John Green right now. And John Green is, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, <laughs> the four horsemen of Sasquatchery. And uh, that guy spent most of his life, uh, at least the latter half of his life, looking for Sasquatch and never had a sighting. And when you look at some of the biggest names in the subject, they've never had a, a, a you know, a, a, a sighting. Uh, Green, Hinden, Krantz, I think Byrne claimed to have had one, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm mistaken. But, but. At least Krantz and DeHinden Green, none of those guys claimed deciding. Um, so it's almost like, what the heck? Why? Why did you know? What did I do to <laughs> to to deserve one? At the same time, I had a sighting that lasted less than a second, and I find that I am less sure today than I was a year ago of what I saw. And so I almost wish I hadn't had a sighting, or if I did, that it would have been like a full full-blown face-to-face encounter that lasted for, you know, a little longer than a second. So I was far more uh, sure of what I'd actually seen because I just find that I really second-guess the encounter the, the further from it I get. I feel like that's the same kind of with anybody with any sighting because you just try to rationalize your head for a while like with what happened to begin with like my sighting that I had with the Wendigo thing like I didn't tell anybody about it for like three four years and then I was finally talking about it on a show once and somebody started connecting dots for me because I had no idea what I saw and once the pieces started coming together it kind of made sense but it's like as time goes on it's like you still question yourself even more but at the same time though it's like it kind of gives you the drive to keep searching because if you're always searching and you're not finding anything then it's like at some point you might just give up on it. But I mean, if you're finding trace evidence, I mean, that might still keep the drive alive. That's what seems to do for, uh, for Alex. Cause he's always finding trace evidence, but again, he still hasn't actually had his, his first eye sighting. Yeah. Yeah. If that's why you're in it, I'm not, I, I'm not in it looking for trace evidence. Like when I, <laughs> when I go on a shoot or, or whatever, that's the last thought in, in my mind is I'm here to like have an encounter. It's, it's just not in my mind. Um, maybe with on the trail of Bigfoot, it's a little different, but with like, 
you know, right now the, the movies we're making or, or the movies we've made over the last two years are like American werewolves two and, uh, this lost contact movie or the Dogman territory thing we just filmed. Um, re- realistically, you are not going to show up in a place, even a place like LBL with all this mystique and history behind it and have an encounter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's just not going to happen. In two days, it's not going to, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't buy that it's going to happen. And, and I would be, if I was, uh, if I was just part of, of the community and I heard small town monsters went to LBL and then randomly had an encounter with a dog, man, I would be, I'd probably outright be saying they're lying. <laughs> so, so like, like, uh, uh, when I, when I go on the shoots, it's just like, and, and I think I speak for a lot of us on the crew. Like we just don't go into it with that mindset that we're there doing that because we're not, we're not investigators. I'm not speaking for Alex here. I'm speaking for, you know, the, the STM crew. Uh, I don't think any of us think of ourselves as, as investigators. Um, Alex is a little different, but um, I know for, you know, myself and most of the Ohio crew, we just think of ourselves as filmmakers and we make documentaries about these subjects. Um, the, on the trail of Bigfoot is different just because it's, it's, um, it's like what happens if the filmmaker, if the filmmaker is is actually in the position of potentially having an encounter. Um, those those are a little different, and that's why they're. Um, I remember someone told me once that the on the trail of Bigfoot series is really meta because it's like, you know, it, it's almost like a documentary about a documentary. Um, <laughs> behind the scenes of behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It feels like that. Um, so those are a little different, but, but for the most part, what we do is just show up in a place and tr- try to document the encounters that, uh, are claimed by, by witnesses. So, I mean, you, I'd be lying if I didn't say that you don't get caught up in the, um, the, aura of an area you know especially a place like lbl because there's a weirdness to that place that you kind of get into the second you you get there um but but at the same time i've been to so many places at this point because we've been doing this since 2015 uh so and really 2024 will be 10 years since we made since we started filming minerva so I'm, i'm at nine years of doing this uh, and you got to think we do four or five movies a year plus multiple YouTube series. The amount of shoots I've been on in places with uh, purported activity without ever having anything happen has made me really uh, not jaded or skeptical or any of that, but just, just, I'm just used to showing up in a place with like an interesting history of weird stuff and nothing happening. And so that's just how I approach shoots anymore i'm there to do to 
to document something interesting and, and to hopefully bring it to life for an audience in an interesting way. But um, as much as I would love for interesting things to happen on those shoots, paranormal related, um, 9.8 times out of 10, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. I mean, just documenting the folklore behind it is just as fascinating because a lot of these stories, if they don't get cataloged in some way, shape, or form, they're going to get lost through time. So, I mean, just just like the fact that you guys get boots on the ground and actually get to talk to all these people about their encounters and stuff, that's, I mean, just as fascinating as actually finding the thing itself because even if you don't find anything, just hearing people's stories and encounters is just as, fa- just as fascinating, honestly. And again, you're like adding on to like the American folklore. Cause realistically all this stuff, even if you don't want to believe in it, it still builds up this idea of American folklore. And if there wasn't people going around and documenting all these stories, it would just become something that was lost or it'd be like the normal oral tradition thing where people would tell a story, tell a story, tell a story. And it pulls away from the original story versus actually having a recording of the well, original yeah, person. That, that part of it, that part of it's the bigger issue because, because the truth is that someone would tell these stories. It's not like STM is doing the Lord's work uh, <laughs> out here, like like documenting LBL. Some some, I mean, I guarantee. Uh, next, in fact, like while we were filming in LBL, there was another film crew filming in LBL. So when we were in Alaska a week afterward, another another documentary film crew filmed in the same places with some of the same people people we filmed in in Alaska. So. There's always going to be other people documenting the stuff. The problem is they're not documenting it for the most part. Um, outside of some independent filmmakers, the when you get into the stuff that's on like, you know, like Tubi Originals or like uh, the History Channel or whatever, that that isn't documenting. They they take a real event and then they heighten it to such a degree that it no longer really bears any resemblance to to the event that that actually happened. So I think, I think it's always important to, especially as, as we've been in this for as long as we have not to, not to, not to, uh, Trump up like our, 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 let me think of how to put this. It's like, you don't want to create a mythology around STM that, that isn't, that isn't the truth because um, you know, there, there is an importance to documenting this stuff hundred percent, but someone will do that. Like someone will show up and interview the witnesses and talk to them. I think that the key difference is we, we really don't make an effort to change what people's encounters are. Um, regardless of drama or whatever, you know, like we're, we're really letting witnesses and the experts like tell their story in the, in the way they want to tell it. And that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that we're bringing to the table that I don't think you get, um, you know, with the, with like major networks anymore is, is, um, maybe you did back in the day when, when, you know, stuff like mysterious monsters or, Bigfoot man or beast or Bigfoot man beast, whatever. Uh, when those movies were coming out in the seventies, like that, they were kind of like doing a service in a way uh, it, it, in documenting those stories, um, documenting eyewitness encounters that even today I watch some of those documentaries just to, to hear the words of the original witnesses. 
um, they didn't tend to really like trump that stuff up or over dramatize it in a way that modern television does. And I, we, we really make a concerted effort across all our projects, not to do that, not to, not to mine for content. No, <laughs> that's is, is, is something that, that I've really noticed in the last, in the last month. And even, even Alex and I were talking about this in LBL is like, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, um, and I get it. Cause I, I, I run a, I run a company that needs content, you know, mm-hmm. but, but you can, you can be so desperate for that content that, you, that it comes at the expense of truth. And I think there's a way to have both. Yeah. I, so that's, you know, I definitely agree with that. Cause it's, it, it's a hard thing too. Cause it's like, as time goes on, you see it with movies, you see it with horror, it's like something once it's already been seen or done, people want the next big thing. So it's like, I, I take appreciation for the people that just try to get the story as is from the witness's mouth, because that's the most truthful version of the story. And even just like you're mm-hmm. saying, multiple places documenting the same story from the same listeners, that kind of brings more truth and validity to it, because then you hear that this person isn't telling their story once and then never telling it again. Like, I like hearing somebody tell their story multiple times to make sure that details don't change. So just multiple people documenting it just kind of keeps it more to the truth versus, you know, one person comes in and they say, all right, I want you to make this super theatrical. Then that becomes the story. And then the next time they have to make it super theatrical and it just turns into like a fishtail. Yeah, it it really does. And they'll repeat it so many times that when you finally hear it from their mouth, uh, after the 10th time, it's, it's almost like they're on autopilot. Um, you know, just kind of like echoing what they've said a hundred times. The other, the other issue is, is especially like major networks, they'll, they'll literally have, uh, and I've been told this, I've, I'm very aware of this. They'll, they'll ask witnesses to repeat things in a certain way. They'll ask witnesses to add a detail that isn't there in the story. Um, I don't want to give too many. I don't want to give too many details away about this, but there was a story I'm familiar with that just happened recently, where um, someone connected to to like a major UFO case um, had had kind of an emotional, um, not a breakdown, but a very emotional moment during during a, a shoot of a of a show, like a major network show, and it was an honest. Uh, breakdown, you know, like they, they broke down crying. They kind of like fell to their knees and the people filming the show then asked them to redo that almost eight times, like eight times. They kept asking them to redo it. And it became like this whole linchpin for the show was like shooting this. What, what was initially an honest reaction became this, like, Oh, we can, we can really like play this up and get multiple angles on it. And, and that kind of thing. Those are the things we do not do. Uh, with STM. Um, so that's, you know, I don't like to toot our own horn too much, but I do think we offer uh, an alternative to what's on uh, the major networks. Um, you know, that, that is, is much more in line with reality <laughs> than, than what you get on, you know, discovery plus or whatever. I think I was telling Alex this a while ago. One of the things I appreciate about small town monsters is that you guys make like documentaries for people that are into the subject. So it's like, you don't need to make all these giant theatrics because people want the honest truth. And that's, that's kind of where well, the build you, comes you, to. I mean, you'd be surprised. I, 
I, I get what you're saying, but I've always said the opposite. I make movies for a general audience. I make I make movies for like the people who who've never looked into Bigfoot, who've never who know nothing about UFOs, know nothing about uh, Mothman or or any of this stuff. That that when when I'm making an STM movie, traditionally, the last person in my mind is like your ardent paranormal enthusiast, because we already have those people. We already have me. Like <laughs> that's just, that's just me. But like the, the, the people I'm interested in attracting to the subject are the people who've never once considered any of this. Um, and, and when you, when you approach it from that level, I think it, it's, it's, it's the right approach because, um, you know, they, they, it's a it's a grounded approach that they haven't seen on television for sure. You know, you watch any of these shows that are on TV now that that sort of, um, you know, just tell like spooky stories or spooky witness stories. It's so overly overdone that that it loses that audience immediately. And then if you look at the sort of um, investigative stuff that's out there, they're constantly finding stuff. And and it flies in the face of reality. Uh, you talk to any hunter that watches like um, Expedition Bigfoot or whatever, and they find it ridiculous because it's it's not reality. It's it's a it's it's in no way indicative of reality. And they're aware of that. Like people aren't stupid. Uh, I mean, actually, quite a few people are stupid. <laughs> but but like you can't you you got to shoot high. Like your audience isn't. Don't don't dumb stuff down for the audience. That's always been one of one of my rules. Like with with filmmaking, um, I think you can, I think you can attract a very large audience to this stuff. I think people are into the unknown. I think they're. I think you know, like normal, normal everyday people are interested in the idea that they could go into their the woods behind their house one day and have an encounter with something that could change their life. That's that is said not to exist by science. Um, I think, it's, I think people are attracted to the idea that they can look up in the sky and see something flying around that, that, you know, NASA claims doesn't exist. Um, pe- people are interested in that stuff, especially now with as, uh, as crappy as the world is today, these subjects still appeal to like a really large, uh, massive number of people. Uh, but the problem is you lose them almost immediately when you do it the way uh, traditional, you know, cable television does it um, because they've seen it. They've seen that, that approach a thousand times. Um, e- even, I mean, people, even visually, like people kind of tune out the second they see uh, night vision, you know, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like the second they see the green, like, camera that the, the, they kind of like tune that out they're like okay now now they're going to start knocking on trees and then five seconds later they're going to start yelling into the woods and then right after that there's going to be a strange call that's going to respond and like there's an expectation for what is going to happen based on years of that kind of content already being being out there um and that content does not reflect reality and and so you know you can uh, at the end of the day, the biggest thing for us is that we're genuine and we are as honest as, as we can be, you know, like 
there, there, there are limits to that. You have no idea at the end of the day, if, if witness a is telling you the 100% truth or not, people lie constantly. Um, but I know that, that I think we do a better job of screening the people we interview than a lot of the, 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 the other shows, you know, that are, that are out there. Um, so you can, I think, don't take anything at face value, but I, I think you can, you can watch STM uh, being rest assured that we've, we've at least done our due diligence to try to, you know, make sure that the people that are in our stuff aren't just making something up to, to become a viral sensation. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the time people will hear like, Oh, crazy story. All right, let's ride. Let's go with it. But I mean, you mm-hmm. have to like screen people in general. I mean, I even have to do it for the podcast. Sometimes you got to like read people. They got to like understand like psychology and know like if somebody's lying, if they do something in particular, you got to start kind of learning their tells, but at least the way you guys do it. I mean, it's good storytelling and filmmaking to begin with, because when you're trying to lay something down, you got to, you got to lay the foundation first. And a lot, a lot of shows necessarily do that. Now they kind of just hop into it where it's like, you want to lay the groundwork and have everybody understand everything from the beginning before you really start getting into it. And in turn, I feel like it just makes a more complete project. And I mean, you know, you see, a, there's a lot of good like YouTubers and stuff that are doing stuff like that, but all the stuff on TV, all they're worried about is the main big story happening. And they're not really worried about laying down the groundwork to get to that point. It's just all about focusing on that point and not building up the climax of like the story and really laying everything down as it is. Yeah. And I think independent content has less of a, um, uh, less of a drive to fake stuff. Cause I mean, I can outright tell you like 90% of reality TV centering around the paranormal is, is fake. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know from talking to people that work on the stuff that it's, if it's not scripted, um, there are very, uh, elaborate sequences at the very least that are, are 100% planned out. Um, and so that's not, you know, that's nothing. We've never done anything like that. Um, and I know a lot of the independent filmmakers that I've uh, worked with or enjoy their work don't do not do that either. Um, whereas with television, and by the way, I'm not necessarily faulting the people that work on those shows. Um, it's the networks because they want yeah, what they're paying I, for. I, right. I wouldn't do it, but like the, the people that work on the shows are are – under the gun from like a major network. Uh, and that is their job is to make that show. And also like the, a lot of these people aren't into this stuff. So when they're told, Hey, uh, I've been in the middle of a shoot where, where the camera crew was trying to fake stuff. Um, I wouldn't, I didn't participate, but, but I was, I watched guys sneak into the woods and then make a bunch of noise to try to spook, uh, the investigative crew that were were walking around the woods. Um, I've seen it happen. Uh, it's a it's a it's reality. Um, but those people at the end of the day are just trying to put food on the table for their kids, and I'm sure they're not worried about uh, <laughs> the long term ramifications on like the paranormal community or the paranormal subject matter uh, that they're that they're essentially spoofing. Um, but the good thing about you know. STM or, or some of the other independent companies or, or productions out there is we don't have that same, um, we don't have that horse in the race. 
We're not, I, I think most of the people that I respect that are doing this or, or, or doing stuff like what we do, um, they're out there doing it in a similar way to, to the way we approach it. And, and that isn't, you know, when Alex doesn't see anything in the woods, he doesn't say, I saw something in the woods just to build excitement, you know, in, in the production he's working on, he's telling you nothing happened. And, and that is the reality of actual Bigfoot research most of the time. Um, and so you don't get that. You're not going to get that on television. You're going to get a lot of theatrics and, and wood knocking and yells and mind speak and uh, random headaches that knock crew members down and, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, it definitely pulls away from the real research. Like even like the paranormal stuff, like you have a bunch of people that want to get into it and they're doing the stuff that they see in the TV shows because that's what they're familiar with. And I feel like it, mm-hmm. again, pulls away from the actual research and how you actually go about doing things. Like a lot of the guys I know that are doing the independent research as far as like Sasquatch goes, for example, they're not trying to do the same stuff that everybody else is doing with like the wood knocks and going in with flashlights and stuff. Like I've seen a bunch of guys that'll go in with like red lights and they'll just sit and wait and they won't catch anything and they'll admit that they won't catch anything. But I feel like those just trying to pull it away from like what the mainstream idea is of how you actually go about this research is how you might actually end up finding something. Because if these guys are constantly doing theatrics and they're making it look like it's something's going to happen, like everybody's going to start doing that. And in turn, they're never going to have an experience because they're actually scaring these things away by wood knocking. Like that's, that's one of the theories I've had a lot of the time is everybody wants to try wood knocking, but I feel like wood knocking, if anything, is probably something that scares them away because a lot of the like legitimate research researchers that I talk to that come on, uh, when you do wood knocks, they think that it's more so like they're trying to say how many people are in the area, for example. So if you start wood knocking, it's almost like telling them to get away from the area because there's two knocks, two people in this area. Like you could be scaring them away by actually doing this stuff on these shows that you think is legitimate research. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I've had, I've had wood knocks galore out in Minerva. So I don't know what I think of wood knocking. I hear a lot of times about like people saying, saying that kind of stuff like wood knocking might frighten him away. I mean, Heather and I would knock on trees and have responses immediately. My son used to take a little bat out in the woods and he'd knock. And we had multiple (laughs) times where something knocked back. Like that kind of thing happened all the time out in Minerva. But, but I do think you're correct in that people, it's almost like people have been hardwired because of reality TV to expect that they're going to walk into the woods and have an immediate interaction with, with a Sasquatch. Because if you watch the shows, that is how Bigfoot research is portrayed. It's a, it's a group of, you know, like uh, good looking uh, uh, muscular people go into the woods. Go into the woods, uh, unless it's mountain monsters. Uh, go into go into the woods, and then they they strike a tree, and they have an immediate response, or um, you know something something crazy happens constantly, and that is in no way indicative of of what actually happens um, when you're when you're really really looking into this stuff. It's just not not how it plays out. Just out of curiosity, I meant to ask you a little bit sooner when we were talking about your uh, Bigfoot encounter, but everybody has kind of a different idea on Sasquatch, and I guess we never really know for sure. Uh, Alex, from every time I've talked to him, seems to be more of like a flesh and blood kind of guy. But like, what, what's what's kind of your take on it? What do you, what do you think these things are about? Do you kind of fall more towards the interdimensional side or more towards the flesh and blood side? Uh, Bigfoot? Yeah. Yeah, Bigfoot, 100% flesh and blood. I... I 
everything I've experienced, the bulk of the reports that we've taken over the years, the the bulk, like the 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 highest percentage of reports are of a flesh and blood creature. Um, I always go back to the the investigators I've talked to that have been looking into the subject for the longest period of time who take legitimate reports like from from locals in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. Uh, guys like Don Keating, who looked into it for like the Bigfoot subject for like 30 years. I asked Don, you know, in the 30 years you took Bigfoot reports, how many reports did you take that had a paranormal aspect to to the report? And he said zero. Literally 30 years, hundreds of reports, not a single one had a, had a paranormal uh, aspect to it. I'm not writing off paranormal reports entirely because there are, there are reports that, that have that, you know, that strange bent to them, but the bulk of the reports are not that. Uh, the bulk of the reports are of a, a, a some sort of strange creature crossing the road or a brief encounter, you know, a, a sighting behind a house or something looking at a window, uh, something like that. Um, and just just if you look at the the historical record, you know, going back to the 1800s, uh, the wild man encounters and ape encounters here in Ohio, we had we had this creature called the Norwalk ape near Norwalk, Ohio, uh, in the 1930s, this thing was like hunted down by a posse of men and, and was seen by, by dozens of people. And it, it was described as an ape like creature. Um, the bulk of the reports are of a flesh and blood animal that seems to be somehow related to, to the great ape. And that, that tends to be my, my stance on Bigfoot. I have a different view on, something like Dogman, but, um, but Bigfoot, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I'd love to hear your theories on Dogman Cause that's one that always fascinates me being from Michigan with the whole like Manistee Dogman concept, but just a quick thing on Bigfoot. Everybody talks about like the disappearing footprints. And my mm. theory has always been on that, that, you know, some of these things that are paranormal can be completely normal things. It's just something that only exists in one place in nature, like a lot of weird characteristics as far as animals go. But like with the disappearing footprints, if these things are ape-related, there's no reason why they can't climb. So who's to say when the footprints disappear, they didn't just climb up a tree at that point. And if they are moderately intelligent and they've learned that people follow footprints, you know, who's to say that they don't just make footprints walk in one direction, lift themselves up, climb in a tree and go the other way. And the intention is that the footprints steer away from where they're staying at so that people will walk that way following the footprints and they're actually doing it as a means of saving their their home area and making people deter and go another way. Sure. And nine times out of 10, when people are talking about disappearing footprints, they're talking about footprints that were found in the snow, um, which very often... Uh, could be could be a snow drift it could be that someone is following rabbit like a rabbit track like i've it's 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 there's there's not enough there to lead me to believe that there's anything paranormal in nature uh, about bigfoot um but i'm into the stories like the paranormal obviously like if you look at our filmography and the stuff we cover i i love stan gordon and the work on this on the, the he's done on the chestnut ridge and I've covered that extensively, but my, I'm just talking about my own personal opinion on it is, is, you know, some sort of flesh and blood creature. That's where I'm at. 
But uh, as far as Dogman goes, I mean, that one's a super weird one. I've had multiple theories on that one that I think it's like a mix of a couple different things. Like there could be some flesh and blood ones. I mean, the interdimensional concept is theoretically possible, but the one I steer towards the most that I think a lot of people see is possibly like government created ones. Because if, you know, we were able to clone sheep back in the nineties, like who knows what there could be potentially trying to do now. And a lot of these things are senior bases. So, I mean, like they may not be flesh and blood natural. They may be something that was man created, but I mean, at least as far as you go, where do you kind of sit as far as the dog man stuff goes? Yeah. That, that flesh and blood, like uh, military hybrid thing was actually brought up a lot when we were in LBL uh, last week. Um, I'm of the mindset that it's, it's related to the occult, that it's like a supernatural thing. Um the bulk of the witnesses I've interviewed, and at this point I've interviewed a few dozen, um, or a couple dozen at least, uh, the bulk of the witnesses I've interviewed have either had some connection to the occult or they were connected to a location that had very strong connections to the, <laughs> to the occult. Um, and so I, I've always thought that there was something, something there, you know, connecting, connecting that particular subject to, to like a a supernatural entity of some sort. Um, You know, if it's spiritual, if it's in the mind, I have no idea. Uh, But that is a very unique subject matter that I, the longer I've looked into it, the more I'm convinced it's real, but it's not real in the same, in the same way that like Bigfoot is. It's not a, I don't think that I personally do not, I definitely don't ascribe to the idea that these are some sort of undiscovered species of upright walking canid. I think, I think that I, and I know Aaron is on the fence about that, but I've always found that idea borderline absurd. Um. See, I've always kind of seen it as like, there always seem to be seen around like knit, no Native American areas. So I've kind of wondered if there's some type of like protection thing that once you stir up the land, then they show up and the intention is that they're supposed to protect graves. But then on the other side of it, you hear about everybody hearing this like metal grinding sound before they see them. And my theory on that has always been that if they are government created, who's to say that they're not using like underground facilities? I mean, there's caves everywhere. And how hard would it be to create some kind of a trap door? And if you have a creature like this, then of course it's going to have to feed. And there's no reason why the government wouldn't want to work on something like that. Cause essentially you could just drop this thing to a village, have it take out an entire village or an entire base and have no link back to you and be like, Oh man, I don't know what happened. And everybody that tries to report what happened, the normal, normal people don't want to believe in it anyway. So it's like, it's the perfect like secret weapon realistically. It's like that movie cabin in the woods. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those things are, like it just, it, they're so weird and fascinating. I think there's just multiple aspects that come into them. And then you get even even like the, the whole skinwalker concept. And I don't think that things necessarily are able to completely like shape and change their form. I mean, the government's mm. been looking into like different like psychic powers forever. And I've often wondered if it's like a matter of if psychic powers are a real thing, if you're able to manipulate somebody's reality into seeing what you want them to see. So even going into like skinwalkers, you wear the skin of something. And if you have this mind power that you can manipulate people into seeing something else, you could literally just be walking around with this like fur on your back and you're manipulating somebody's mind to see that animal instead of you actually standing there. And I think it's more of like a mind thing. I don't think these things are literally like transforming into something else. No. And, and, you know, in our, in, in the, uh, in, uh, American werewolves too, I mean, we, we interviewed 
Navajo Nation, you know, uh, uh, tribes people who talked about like that. And, and that is, that is literally what they'll tell you is this is not an actual, this is not an actual wolf person. This is, this is a, a man wearing the, the flesh of, you know, an animal and then gaining some of the powers of that creature. Um, and what that means is, is kind of up to the, the beholder. Um, but that is, you know, it's not that they're, they're literally becoming the creature. They're, they're somehow tapping into the something, you know, some sort of supernatural or spiritual connection to, to something. And, um, and, and they're able to, to gain some sort of power from that. I mean, when I was doing my, uh, like three part Dogman series for like Michigan Dogman and stuff, I started digging into like the, the Dogman warriors and they claim to have like go, they go off in the woods and like live with the dogs and like become one with the dogs. But all the depictions you see of these guys, they, they're like human, like with like the, the dog head kind of on them. And sometimes they depict them with like the face being like a dog face, but even just digging more into that, I think it's more of a fact just like you said, that they're just wearing the skin. And if you're moving quick around in the woods in front of somebody, like how hard is it to like change somebody's perception when they're not really getting a clear visual on you in the first place, you're just freaking mm. them out and getting them out of the area by letting them only see like a specific certain side of you, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you, you learn from actually speaking to to First Nations people as well as that's pretty much what they're saying. But uh, I know that you only had about an hour, so I guess uh, we'll probably start wrapping it up now, but maybe we can have you come back out in the future because this has been a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to do it again. Uh, but yeah, for sure. I, I always like to wrap it up with words of wisdom. So if there was any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, what might it be, man? Uh, be too dumb to fail. <laughs> uh, that's... Uh, that is, that is my, those are my, uh, wise words. Usually, uh, just too dumb to quit. That's, that's what I am. So that's, <laughs> that's how, that's how I approach life. And I think a lot of people would be better off if they did it in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> and, uh, for anybody that might want to come and check out your documentaries, uh, possibly get in contact with you, anything like that, uh, where can everybody come and find you online and where can they come and find small town monsters? Uh, just smalltownmonsters.com and then we have a Facebook and an Instagram and a Twitter and all that kind of stuff. I think we're on TikTok somewhere um, and YouTube. So those are those are the big places to find us. And of course, I will include them down in the show description so everybody can find them quick and easy. And uh, I appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. I know we had a lot of dancing around for a while trying to find a good time, but it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got this to work, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Absolutely. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a review or a rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, if you know anybody that'll really enjoy this episode, don't forget to share this episode through word of mouth. And if anybody would like to report an encounter, you guys can do so through the link tree. I do have a submission form directly on there, or you guys can email OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, of course, you guys can do so through social media or through email. Instagram, I'm more active on, but you guys can always go through Facebook. And uh, if you guys want to email me, it's increase of our reality podcast at outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. And I respond to every single email that I get. So make sure you guys check your spam and junk folders, make sure nothing gets missed in the process. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, 
Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.